0: Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. This last sermon in this series is called The Better Way. The better way. And the big idea is this. Jesus describes living in God's kingdom as the wise way To live. In the end, God will validate the faith of those who love Him and obey Him. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 13. And we are going to go all the way through 27. And you'll see there that that's the red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that that finishes the red letters. Okay you a second to get there let me just lay out for you the format of this morning's sermon we're going to read the whole thing and then we're going to read the section the three sections separately and we're going to work from back to front okay, that's how it's going to go so here we go verse 13 enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. That's one section that we're going to deal with today. Next one is this, verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging, are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But bad trees produce bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce. Good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out dem- demons in your name and do many mi- miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's going to be a hefty section to deal with. And lastly, it says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts them out will be like a me- wise man who builds his house on the rock? The rain fall and the rivers rise. And the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fall, the rivers rose. Maybe the rains fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. And it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. And that, my friends, concludes the Sermon on the Mount. Now, what is this section? This section is not so much um, teaching new information. What it is doing, it is tying a bow on the information that was previously given. It says, all these things I've taught to you, and these things I've taught to you help you understand what a good life looks like, what a thriving life looks like. Okay? By the three illustrations, Jesus makes plain that there are ultimately only two categories of people in this world, despite the endless shades we might otherwise perceive. He utilizes a two-way genre well known for the Jewish literature. These three illustrations contrast those who select the narrow, right, rather than the broad gate and road, those who bear good fruit rather than those who bear bad fruit, and those who build homes on a solid rock foundation, and those who build homes on shifting sand. In each case, the first category refers to those who hear, obey, and are saved. The second to those who only hear, only hear. And so, by not putting into practice, they are destroyed. In each case, eternal life and judgment are at stake. All right, so stay at the bottom, the, the, the end of the red letters there, and we're going to talk about two foundations, two foundations. You're like, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You did. so I won't spend too much time on it, but I want to, I want to touch on it. Uh, verse 24, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rains come, the tumults come, and it beats on the house, and it stands because its foundations are deep. I was looking at um, the building of the Burj Khalif. Have you ever seen that? The tallest building in the world? And uh, it's in Dubai. And honestly, you wouldn't think that that type of a building, that size of a building, would be able to be built in the desert. And you'd be right if they didn't do a massive engineering project to put pilings down to get below the sand, which was significant, into the bedrock. Then the sand's on top of that, but what the foundation is settled in bedrock. Because otherwise, you could never build that high. Um, I, I, I read a book a while back about how they had to, what they had to do to build the Brooklyn Bridge back in the day. This is a while ago. And they had to build deep down below the waterline. People were getting sick. People were having, getting the, bend, the bends and all this stuff just because they had to go so deep into the bedrock in order to support the bridges. The bridges, um, cabling, crazy stuff. Amazing engineering project. But anybody worth their salt in engineering knows you can't build on something that moves. It's got to be solid. It's got to be sure. Because if you do, it will stand. If you don't, the, the foundation will get eroded out from under you. And that's what this says. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded on the house and it collapsed and it's collapsed with a great crash. And that's what will happen. Now, Andrew Colon, uh, just a couple weeks ago, did an amazing job covering this topic from Luke 6. Uh, He just picked a topic that he was comfortable preaching on for that day. And it happened to be something that uh, exists in the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought that was kind of cool because I didn't ask him to preach a particular topic. But he dealt with it so well. Um, He used used the the version from Luke 6, and his theme was the unshakable life. Think about that for a second. Unshakable, why? Because the foundation was strong. N.T. Wright suggests that uh, there may be an added layer to this parable of the wise and foolish builder. And he says this, not far away from where the, the, he sat on the hillside, Herod's men were continuing to rebuild the temple. They spoke of it as God's house and declared that it was built upon the rock, proof against wind and weather. Now, um, there's debate over where the temple actually stood. Most people believe it stood on uh, what they call the Temple Mount right now, uh, where the um, the Dome of the Rock is, and the Dome of the Rock is literally built on top of a big rock. And those who believe that that is where the temple stood believe that that rock right there is Mount Moriah, where Abraham was given the ram to substitute for the atonement of his son, right on that same spot. Now, there's debate over that. Many believe that the, the actual temple location was in the old city of, of the city of David, but whatever. But here's the thing. They believed, because of the geographical location of the temple, that it would stand for eternity. That was their belief. But in the last great sermon in Matthew's gospel, Jesus warns that the temple itself would come crashing down. Because Israel as a whole had failed to respond to his message. And that caused a lot. That was one of the key reasons why they crucified him. Because he questioned the longevity and the, the sacredness of the stones and the rocks of the temple. Halfway through the gospel, in another dramatic moment, he promises that Peter's confession of faith will form the rock on which something very different will be built. A community that believes in him, Jesus, as the Messiah. When when, when he said, who do people say that I am? Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say all these things. And he said, who do you say I am? And Peter stepped and said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus turns to Peter, he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And on this rock, I will build my church. That I am the Messiah, the son of God. So we see foundations, even though we think they're secure, sometimes can be misplaced. We gotta be careful that we use the word of God to help us along that path. So that's the two foundations. The next section deals with two fruits. Verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. So how are you going to know the difference? By their fruit. Then he goes into this whole uh, discussion about what is what should, we, what should we look at? Well, bad plants can't give off good fruit, and good plants give up bad fruit. Some people think that this is, called, this is like rotten, like uh, an apple tree will give off rotten apples. No, no, no. He, he uses the words thistles and thorns as being the bad fruit. So a thistle bush ain't going to produce apples. It's only going to produce something that is una- unedible. An apple tree is not going to produce thistles, right? You can know. It's, 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 it's guaranteed that what goes in the ground, what is planted is going to produce. So somebody says to you, I planted a watermelon and I got a, I don't know, asparagus. That doesn't make any sense. A cucumber. We'll use cucumber. I planted watermelons, I had a package of watermelon seeds, I planted it, and I got cucumbers. It's a miracle. No, it's mispackaging. You actually planted watermelon seeds. You didn't plant, plant cucumber seeds, because that's not what happens. you got to know, you can know the truth by the fruit. You can know what tree it is by the fruit it produces. And that gets us to like the scariest, the scariest passage. I believe the scariest passage in all of scripture. Man, I spent so much time on this verse just praying, God, help me. because it says this. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And I said that. I said, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Now this gets even real, more real, right? Lord, Lord did I not prophesy in your name? I do that. I speak to you on Sunday mornings. That's, I, I prophesy the word of God to you. I do that. Aww. Have you driven out demons in your name? I don't know if I've ever driven out demons, but I know people have gotten saved and converted to Christ through my words. That's not my words, is it? No, it's the Holy Spirit, right? But you know what I'm saying? If I thought it was my words, man, I'd be pretty heady. Many miracles have done your name. When I announce that to them, then he will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. The Bible constantly talks about our guarding against false prophets or false teachers. Now, it's easy to to pick out a false prophet, right? Somebody who's prophesying about the future. Why? Because he's only got to be wrong once. There's no second chances when it comes to prophetic work. If If he's wrong once, he's a false prophet. And you, it's, Now, teachers, on the other hand, false teachers, that's tougher. That's tougher. That's when you've got to look at the fruit behind the teaching because you can't, you, you, you can't necessarily see it so easy, right? Teachers are most more difficult. Why? Deception often have a significant measure of truth baked in. Deceptions often have a significant measure of truth baked in. Just enough sugar to make the poison go down. It's Satan's most loved and cherished strategy. Did God really say? Did He? Oh. God's holding out on you. He knows that as soon as you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him. That is the truth. He spoke truth in that statement. But then he follows it up with more truth that's kind of on on the sly, knowing good and evil. You're not going to be like God. You're just going to know good and evil like God does. I wish I didn't know good and evil like God does. That was the thing. There was enough sugar in that enough lie in that sugar to make the poison go down, which ultimately killed humanity. These deceptions, deception leads us to the most terrifying verse in scripture, and we just talked about that. I never knew you. Ah, that's that, that that's tough. I've struggled with that. God, I want to know you. I don't want to know just about you. I don't just want to do your work. I just don't want to uh, play act, I want to know you. I never knew you can be understood as I don't recognize you. Hey, God, it's me. <laughs> that, my day, my, my, my time is up. I go before the Lord and say, hey, it's me. He's like, ooh, what? I don't recognize you. I mean, think about how that fits so well with what Michael talked about a few weeks back. This idea of hypocrisy, right? Those who play act and wear masks of righteousness will not be recognized by their father. Drop the mask and know your God. They can do all the things for all the wrong reasons and end their lives completely unrecognizable. to Christ. Let that not. Let's know our God. Let's stop playing games, take off the mask, and live in relationship with him. The warning Jesus gives is about being on guard against false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. Be careful of that. You'll recognize them by their fruits. This concept plays into the, perfectly into the parable of the two roads. Okay, N.T. Wright commentates that. On any given stretch of road, there are me- more and more warning signs. Have you ever guys ever noticed, just like started to look at how many signs there are on our, our roads? It's almost ridiculous. There are so, I mean, you would think in a day and age where we have GPS, you wouldn't even need so many signs. Start taking some signs down. Don't add more. I mean, there's so, they are so many signs. I think if you could go back in time and look, or people could come forward in time and be like, are these people stupid? They don't know how to get anywhere. They have to have signs like every three feet. More and more signs. Lane closed. Mud on road. Slow farm vehicles. Not to mention signs like turtle crossing. Have you seen the turtle crossing signs? Apparently there's there's been a holocaust of turtles along this stretch. Not to mention signs telling us how fast you're allowed to drive, warning you that there are police cameras waiting to catch you if you speed, suggesting you stop for a cup of coffee before you get too tired, and telling you how far it is to your destination. Jesus ends the great sermon on the mount with a set of warning signs. If you, come to this, if you come this far with him, you need to know it's not just a matter of holding on to the steering wheel and hoping for the best. You need to concentrate, to take note of danger, to realize that you can't presume anything. You've got to keep your wits about you. And that brings us to two ways. Two foundations. Two fruit in two ways. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Jesus' hearers would have been familiar with the image of two ways, one leading to life and the other to death. It was common language in Judaism. Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verse 15 says, See, today I'm setting before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. This is a binary choice. The difference is that most Jewish people believed that Israel as a whole would be saved and that the few who were lost would be an exception to that rule. If you were Jewish, you were going, and man, there's a few of you that are going to be so wicked that you're not going to. And then, and, oh, then I forgot, there's the Gentiles, too. They're all going. That was a Jewish mindset. In Jesus' sermon, he emphasizes that it's not your family, your nationality, social standing that puts you on the correct path. It's not even doing all the right things, Ready? Right? I did all these things, right? I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. I did many wonderful works. And he goes, I don't even recognize you. So it's not what you do. What is it then? It is your relationship with the gatekeeper. That's the way through the narrow path. Everyone can go through the wide gate. The gate that goes, that's narrow runs through the relationship with the gatekeeper. John chapter 10 verse 7 says Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus is literally the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. I like to throw in there counterfeits. All that come before me are counterfeits. They're thieves. They're robbers. There's enough truth in them to their ways of thinking to, to pull many astray, but they're counterfeits. They're, they want to steal from you. They want to destroy you. All that came before are thieves and robbers. But the sheep don't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief. comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. I want you to focus on that word life. I have come that you might have life. What does that mean? That's a very simple, we kind of understand life. I want you to have life and I want you to have it in abundance. But you just said it was hard. How do those two things mesh? How can the hard way, the narrow way, equal abundant life? How can you say the narrow way, the way of being harder, is better? Everybody know what the word entropy is? For those who don't, I'll define it. Entropy is the process of degradation are running down. Everything is running down. I am not as young as I used to be. I look at my son, I'm like, man, those are the days. Kid can run for hours. He can eat whatever he wants and doesn't gain a pound. Right, Lincoln? Whatever he wants. On the other hand, <laughs> and I used to be that, but things run down. We were at uh, Mystic Seaport this last, uh, we had Friday. Last hurrah, we went to Mystic Seaport. We did the whole port. We did the aquarium, all this stuff. You know what I noticed that there was a lot of by the shore? Rust and rot. These boats that talk about sea, in the seaport, they're constantly falling apart. And you have to fix them, or they will literally deteriorate into nothing. There was a whole display in the Mississippi port. It's fascinating on boatworms. Why they thought that was something to make a display out of, I don't know. But there was a boatworms where they, if they don't do certain things, they would put they would put um, was it zinc around the the exposed wood to keep the worms out because the worms will go in and they'll rot it and just like termites would do in wood listen everything's running down that's what entropy is entropy is the way of existence death death comes easy decay just happens and destruction is what we all fight against, right? You just let yourself go. That's easy. But to keep fit, you got to work out. That's hard, right? Like I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, you could just let your house go, or any homeowner here knows that that will like last a very short time, unless you maintain your house, right, Noah? Here we go, buddy, here on that path. (laughs) Unless you maintain that house, it's going to rot, fall apart, your grass is going to look awful, and your neighbors are going to hate you. That's entropy. Everything runs down. The way of life runs against the way of death. And it's harder, but it's abundant. If you want to live longer, you want to enjoy the world that God has given us, you have to do certain things to maintain your health. I'll tell you, I I, I struggle with that. I like food. I like food that likes to entropy my arteries. So I got (laughs) to... the hard work is to not do that right but i get to when i do the hard when i go down the hard path it brings me more abundant life do you see how that is that's what christ he wants to give you life and life abundantly yes it's the road less traveled but it's better it may be harder but it's better so take the narrow road Guard against the wolves in sheep's clothing. That's harder, but it's better. Do the hard work of producing good fruit. How many have, have ever had an apple tree in their yard? Anybody? Ever, anybody? Yeah. You could have an apple tree, and you can just let it grow wild. And it will produce some fruit here and there you'll be able to know it's an apple tree. It's not producing watermelons. That would be a weird tree. It's an apple tree. We get it. But when you do the hard work to prune that thing, I mean, we were, walk- we were driving on the way to our trip. We were driving past an apple orchard and these trees looked like bushes and they were gnarly looking. But man, we're getting into apple season soon and they were full, laden with apples. It's like, almost like Wow, there's more apples than there are leaves. It's just crazy. But that's hard work. But it brings abundance. Bearing bearing the proper fruit is more than just growing wild. It's pruning. It's living a life according to a plan and a purpose. The pruning shears of the word. The word is a two-edged sword that comes in and pierces down to the marrow and bone. And it cuts off all the bad stuff so that you can produce a better fruit and have a better abundant life. It's a good thing. It hurts sometimes, but it's good. It's the harder way that leads to abundance. Take time to make sure the gatekeeper recognizes your face. That's hard. That's transparent. That's vulnerable. And dig deep to build strong foundations. That's the harder way. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's putting a bow at the end of all these things that he was talking about. These things are harder. He's leveling the playing field. He's saying, whether you're a murderer or you're someone who hates your brother, they're the same thing. And it's not about doing good things and being, you know, being righteous in your own eyes. It's about knowing the gatekeeper. It's about living, a high, living the narrow way, going the higher way doesn't matter if you're an adulterer or you're someone who lusts after a woman. It's the same thing. We've got to be people who know the gatekeeper. That's how we do things. We are held to a higher standard, a narrow road. Narrow road. Dig deep, build strong foundations. Take on the challenge of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not the easy way but it is the best way. Now that's where my sermon was going to end. Didn't it feel like it was going to end? Didn't it feel like the not the easy way, it's the best way. Have a great week. But I did what I always do on Sunday mornings and I got in my quiet place with my sermon and God added to it. Let me tell you what God wanted to say to you today. And I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I said it properly. As we have reached the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I was praying about the sermon, and I was thanking God for what I was calling his greatest work. I was like, God, thank you for this sermon. It's touched me so much in the last few months. Thank you for this, this greatest work. And I felt God speaking to my spirit, saying, this is not my greatest work. And this is what I I heard him say. This is not my greatest work. The person listening to my words is my greatest work. The one who hears me speaking to their heart and can apply my words to their lives, they are my greatest work. Can you hear me this morning, guys? God said to my spirit this morning that you are his greatest work. When he made the sun, he said, that's good. When he made the, the ocean separate from the, the skies, he said, oh, that's good. When he made plants and animals and birds, oh, that's good. When he made you, he said, that's very good. You're a cut above. You are his greatest work. You say, well, pastor, that's not true. Jesus is greatest. No, it's not. Jesus is not his greatest work, because Jesus is the worker. He was there at the beginning. It's by the word that flesh was made, and he said, you're very good, and you need to hear that today. It's not about a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It's about how to make his very good things, his most precious, his greatest creations, live an abundant life, and that's what he wants for you. And I was chastised in my spirit. I said, you know what, God, you're right. I I pray, and and then I went into a different kind of prayer this morning. God, help my brothers and sisters in here to understand just how important they are to you. Because that's when grace starts to kick into gear. Because when we realize just how important we are to God, and all the, we start to, Take a start, shedding all the the false teachers' words about us—that we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not uh, we're not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not strong enough, not thin enough. We're not we, we, we won't, we're not going to be good parents. We're not going to. Well, you know, I, I lived in a life where, where I didn't get a good example of what. Of a good parenting is therefore I can't be a good parent. That's garbage. It's a lie. And it's meant to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. Jesus came to give you life and life abundantly because you are his greatest creation. And he loves you. And he knows it's a hard path. It goes against the entropy of the world. It goes against the decay, but it brings life, and it brings it in abundance. And that's what he wants you to hear at the end of this series, that you are so important to him that he put down this information so that you could live a life that you didn't even know was possible in him. That's That's the end of the sermon. That's what he wanted to finish with. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? In your spirit right now, I'd like you to respond to what I really feel God was speaking to us today. And the only thing I I could utter in that moment was, Thank you. God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for caring for me. I don't even know why you care. I don't even feel like I deserve it most of the time, but you do. Thank you, Jesus. If you could just respond to that information in your spirit, the way God is speaking to you in just the next few moments. And now I want you to believe it. Because the enemy the father of lies, the false prophet of false prophets, the sheep in wolf's clothing. Sorry, the wolf in sheep's clothing. As you walk out these doors, he's going to tell you that that's not true. That that was just an emotional, uh, that was just an emotional response to the plea of a pastor. It's not true. God doesn't really love you. You're not worth it. You're not good enough. There's no redemption for you. And I want you to believe it today. To walk out of here knowing, beyond a shadow of a doubt, how God feels about you. Because when we start to understand how God feels about us, for real, it changes the way we look at God. Understanding God's grace grows thanksgiving and praise in us. So let me pray for you. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters this morning that you would help them to understand just how much you love them, just how good they are in your eyes and how much you want them to come to you. Lord, you've given us this thing called choice. God, I pray with Lord that you would just help us to choose you on every front. Why? Because you first chose us. When you made humans, you said, man, that's very good. Help us to believe what you think about us, not what the enemy has spun in his lies. God, I pray that if anybody questions this week your love for them, that they would pick up the phone and call me, and I'll remind them. That they would sit in your presence and let you remind them. Lord, we give our lives to you because... Because you love us so much and you want us to live an abundant life the way of life In hey, Jesus